What's up guys, it's Brett with Saints and Sippers. This is my wife, Trisha. We're out here at NRB 2023. Uh, Saints and Sippers, we are a premium coffee and apparel brand. Uh, we got our start two years ago when we were out at the Sturgis Rally in South Dakota. It's a large motorcycle rally. And we found that there was a lack of good coffee uh, in the surrounding area. So no shortage of alcohol, but no decent coffee. So uh, we said that uh, the following year we'd want to bring out some of our own coffee and it got us thinking that we can't be the only ones that drink coffee out here. So when we came home, uh, we prayed about it, we started brainstorming and we came up with the idea of Saints and Sippers Coffee. Yeah, so Saints and Sippers, um, like you said, we're a premium small batch coffee company. Um, we do uh, a lot of high-end apparel also. Um, we found that it's a really good way to just stop for a minute and sit with somebody is over a great cup of coffee. So that's kind of what we do, and we use coffee as a, a vehicle for ministry, and uh, we want to bring light to some otherwise dark places that um, our, the motorcycle world is full of. So it's just been real, a really cool time with God and reaching people for God that we wouldn't have had a chance to otherwise. Yeah, we can be found on all social media channels, uh, Saints and Sippers. We're on Instagram, we're on Facebook, we're on TikTok. So you can find us all there. And our website is www.saintsandsippers.com. Hello, my name is Faith White, and I'm a CSJ team. Hello, my name is Ezekiel White, and I'm a CSJ team. And this is Vacay MBA. And we are here downtown Norfolk, um, and we are here at this amazing pizza spot called Granby Street Pizza. And uh, we, the first time we've been here, we uh, call it the best pizza that we ever had. Um, but you guys really need to come down. It's good. It's they have all, not just pizza; they have different options on the menu, which will have the menu pop up somewhere. Um, but you need to come down here. Um, it's not far. Um, you need to come everywhere, anywhere you're at. Florida, wherever, you need to come down to Grammy Pizza and get you a slice of pizza. Their slices are huge, so you'll come out stuffed. Promise you that. You'll come out stuffed. So let's, anything... let's show you the inside. How you doing? Welcome to Grammy Street Pizza. Street Pizza is the place to be. And if you want to dine in, it has that classic city energy feel. If you guys are looking for somewhere to book your event or birthday party or any type of catering, you guys can book at Granby Street Pizza. For 20 years, uh, you, Mr. The king of pizza here, we're going to call him the king of pizza. Uh, you have run the streets of Norfolk, Virginia. Uh, Mr. Peter Frieda, uh, thank you so much for taking this interview. Oh, what, what has the journey been like uh, from starting your business 20 years ago to now? Uh, well, it's <clears throat> starting out, every time you start out, it's uh, a little challenging. Uh, usually it's uh, a money thing. Uh, but during the COVID days, uh, it was uh, more challenging. Uh, 
you had employment problems, um, you had limited hours, and it creates a, a very challenging atmosphere. But you, so you're originally from the Bronx, right? I am. Is that where you fell in love with pizza? Oh, I've been eating pizza for a long time. <laughs> I eat pizza every day, actually. Right, right. To this day. Right, he's already got my heart. So that, that is the right answer, first of all. All, all the pizza is always the right answer. But uh, everyone knows New York is literally known around the world for its pizza. Uh, what was it that got you into business? Uh, well, I've been working for myself for 33 years. Uh, my first business I opened up in 1989 was a, a small hot dog in uh, Delhi. So you just love food? Yes. <laughs> Right. That's the thing. And, and so what is it? Is it about the energy, the vibe, or is it just serving people that you love? Oh, all of, all of it. I, I, yeah. I love serving people. I, I love the food business. Uh, I've been involved in the food business ever since I was probably 15 years old. Man. So what brought you to Virginia? Uh, I came here to go to college. Right on. And I stayed. I never went home. And you saw the opportunity to bring the New York style pizza and Italian food here. Yes. That's amazing that you, it's so crazy that you went to, what did you go to school for? Uh, for business. Uh, so you, so you match your business with your passion. Right. Guys, that's a winning answer right there. You match your business with your passion. Now, uh, when did Grammy pizza, Grammy street pizza open? We opened in 2006, March of 2006. I'm Robert Shepard. America has approximately 580,000 homeless people. My area of Virginia estimates 5,783 people living on the streets. A Google search can show the homeless number in your state. You can make a difference. Please send a message that God loves the homeless and has not forgotten them. Go to www.comingsoonjesus.org and click on Fundraising. Purchase the Coming Soon Jesus t-shirt or hoodie. The CSJ team delivers the shirts and hoodies to homeless shelters, churches, 
and even directly to the homeless. Together, we can make a difference. Together, we can help the homeless. Please go to www.comingsoonjesus.org. Purchase a t-shirt or hoodie for the homeless today. God bless you as you bless the homeless. What is going on, everybody? You are watching Real Life with Duke White. Uh, this is a show where there is no topic that we are not afraid to discuss, whether you like us not, real, fake, aliens, Jesus, whatever. We'll talk about anything uh, because of the fact we're, we're trying to figure out reality. So it's time to get real. And so, uh, uh, well, you know, I, I refuse to be one of these hosts that say things like, let's get real. So, you know, so we're here. We're here with my man, Joe Combe of the C.S. Lewis Institute. Uh, and if you don't know who C.S. Lewis is, one, you're about to find out. And for those of you who think you know who C.S. Lewis is, you're probably about to find out some things that you honestly didn't know. Uh, thank you so much, Joe, for being here. Uh, thank you for uh, taking the time. We've been trying to do this for a while now. Uh, but I want to tell you, Initially, my first response of when I found out about who C.S. Lewis was, mm-hmm. I said, Narnia. Is that the typical? Yes, it is. The typical yep. yeah, Narnia. Yep. And then, of course, there's the whole series of Narnia. Then I call myself a deep reader, go into screw tape letters, and I'm like, that's about it, because I've heard the, the, no the chatter. Nope. No, okay. Yes. So there's the. I brought you a copy. Oh, so I got to get it. Now, I check. You a copy, here's yeah. the deal. Yeah. Find out there's a whole C.S. Lewis Institute. Thousands of hours of footage and thousands of hours, thousands of writings, uh, but you're familiar with the C.S. Lewis story. Yes. So could you let's start off with who is C.S. Lewis first? Right, that's a great story. Who C.S. Lewis is um, because he's so applicable for us today. He was born in 1898. Um, he uh, his father was a lawyer. Um, he was had a great home life, and his mother died when he was 10. And two weeks after his mother died, his father sent him away to school. So any faith that C.S. Lewis had as a 10-year-old was totally out the window. And uh, he rejected God, um, was sent away to different schools, um, eventually got with a private tutor to get ready to go to Oxford. And this private tutor, um, also known as, they called him the Great Knock, he was a... uh, very staunch atheist, taught C.S. Lewis to think very critically, <clears throat> totally uh, demolishing religion in his mind. Um, so C.S. Lewis is learning, getting ready to go to Oxford, and then World War I happens. Right. And uh, C.S. Lewis goes to fight in the trenches at World War I, during World War I, and he's injured. And so as this, <clears throat> he had just come out with a book of poetry. C.S. Lewis really wanted to be a poet, right. but he discovered that poetry did not pay the bills. So he knew he was going to have to <laughs> do something else. Right, right. He's going to do something else. He's going to have to teach or something like that. But he's in World War I. He's injured. He's in a hospital in France, and he's writing his best friend, was a guy named Arthur Greaves, who lived back home in Ireland. And he starts to write Arthur. Here he's just been in war, seeing the worst that humanity's had to offer in the trenches in Eastern Europe. He's injured. And he starts to write, uh, I was trying to Arthur about beauty. He says, something that's crossed, I've been thinking about is beauty, and I don't know how to handle it. I don't know where beauty comes from. Hmm. So he writes these series of letters to Arthur, and he's thinking about beauty, and he realizes that beauty has to come from somewhere other within the closed universe 
of the strict materialist that Lewis was, right? Lewis is thinking all, you know, all that exists is all that we can see. There's nothing outside of that. But when he's thinking about beauty, it's like, it has to come from somewhere. So you know the story. He eventually goes on to Oxford. He begins to teach there as a don. Right. He meets his friend, Tolkien. Um, Tolkien is a uh, staunch believer. Tolkien was a sincere Catholic. So they strike up a friendship about uh, the myths of the Norsemen. You know, they're into this Norse mythology. <laughs> right, right. So anyways, eventually, Tolkien is kind of a midwife into uh, for Lewis's faith. Such a good way to put that. It's a good, he, and so eventually, there's this one night in Oxford. It, it's um, uh, Tolkien and Lewis. They go for a walk. Some, it's called Addison's Walk. If you mm. ever get a chance to go to Oxford, go for a walk on Addison's Walk. And they're walking. It's three o'clock in the morning, and Tolkien essentially says, "Listen." You believe you love all these myths. You know you love. Re- we both love reading these myths. Christianity is the true myth. It's the true myth. It's true, and um, you know <clears throat> the Holy Spirit has worked. And just as Tolkien says that three o'clock in the morning, a breeze blows up and, and hits them both, like in the Book of Acts. Right? right, right. So you know Lewis has this moment where he realizes that's true. You know, and he 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 can't deny it anymore. So that's. A few weeks later, uh, he writes his friend Arthur again, his best friend Arthur, and says, I'm now a Christian. And that's 1931. And then from, you know, that's that's how it started. It's it's just, he was a staunch, you know, disbeliever, making fun of Christianity, which we see a lot today, right? Right. And I, and I feel the encouragement that yeah. you're saying right now, which is, is it's, it's just so weird how someone that does something profound doesn't necessarily come from somebody that is loud and profound. It'll be the, uh, as me and DC James talk about it all the time, uh, is the, the Mr. Miyagi, you know, like the, like the guy you didn't see come, the, he's in obscurity, you don't see him at all. And then, because you're dealing with someone with education and experience. So seeing something in war, there's a lot of vets out there. I'm a vet myself. You see things that you shouldn't see. And yep. it will make you say, where is God? Yes. Okay. There's things no that make you say, no atheists in foxholes, but you, you'll see things that'll make you say, where is God? Um, and then let's be real people. Life can just cut you no breaks. So we're talking about, I, and I know in the U S there's poverty and then there's extreme poverty, but there are places where all I've ever known was poverty. And there's places where if you, you mention God, you mention hope. It sounds ridiculous. I know that people who are in situations where they've lost children, grief is something that's very hard to overcome. Yes. Lewis lost his wife, the love of his life. Right. He wrote a whole book on grief. Because grief, and, and see, and that's what I wanted to say. I think it's interesting that he never lost perspective no matter what he went through. And it's also interesting that he committed to it without getting an immediate response. He committed to his writings without needing the fame that went along with it. Well, you know, when Lewis says, the night I decided to commit myself to Christ, I was the most reluctant convert in all of England. So hardly, hardly that joyful walk down the aisle for an altar call, right? right? He came to an intellectual realization that Jesus Christ died for my sins. I need him. And so, uh, you know, it was not this emotional thing, you know. Um, 
And then so, of course, Lewis, he, he had written books before he became a Christian. Um, and Oxford's not an easy school to get. I just had to throw no, that in. No, no. Oxford's not an easy school to get into. So, so this is not just some, uh, some religious fanatic. No, I want to no, make no. sure I people mean, understand that. Well, and, and that's the amazing thing about Lewis. He's a bottomless well. He, he has religious writings. You know, he has Narnia. Right. He has fiction. He's written about science. He's, you know, he, he was... So he was a don at Oxford until 1955, and then he was professor of Renaissance literature at Cambridge University. So he has, you know, one of his, he has academic writings as well. He has a 700-page book. Didn't Stephen Hawkins go there? Uh, all, like, all the all, go Yeah, there. right. That's, That's a place like, where I wouldn't go. Yeah, right, I wouldn't right, right. Anywhere near. <laughs> but Lewis has a you know, 700-page book security called after English me. Literature in the 16th Century. So he has academic writings. He's a bottomless well. Yeah. And it seems like, so uh, I've noticed two things. I noticed that a lot of intellectuals, they find their way to C.S. Lewis, a lot of intellectuals. Uh, And I also think it's fascinating that you said he's a bottomless well, because it's like when you'll be surprised, some of the quotes that you see and you go, oh, that's that's C.S. Lewis? C.S. Lewis said that? And you realize the impact that he actually made on the culture. And it's not only intellectuals. Just read Narnia. You don't have to be. You don't have to be an intellectual to read Narnia. Right. You know, everyone knows who Aslan is. You don't have. You, don't, to, you, you know, know what's funny? And that, that, that's the other thing that right. I was going to say. That's the other, yep. is that he refused to be put in a box when it came to his expression of uh, of his relationship with God, but also his observations about real, reality. Because I noticed that uh, there are things. When there's this polarization and this polarizing communication about science and religion, yep. uh, you will have those that it says, no, don't even pay attention to science. Don't even worry about science. And then you have those on the opposing side. Well, and he could argue both points easily, proving God on both points. There's nothing in science that disproves God. Want to see some dinosaurs? Unbelievable. Want to see Eden? Come on, it's almost time for the show. This is the Creation Museum. Prepare to believe. Seriously, Dad, I want to go. I told you, it's not that big. Great-granddaddy couldn't even fit right. That thing's not to scale. It's a cartoon. The real one's bigger than a football field. For real? Come on, you don't even have to pay for me. Kids are free. All right, all right. It can't be that big. Whoa! (laughs) (laughs) Told you, Dad, you just gotta think bigger. (laughs) Right. And so um, if you want to read about Lewis and science, the abolition of man, I don't know if you find the gospel coalition. Yes. Yes. I have a piece coming out tomorrow on the gospel coalition on Lewis's views. man. So there's nothing in, and Lewis is great about this. There's nothing in science that disproves religion. Um, That's that's such a, a needed statement to hear because I don't think that it's aimed just at people that, only believe in science. It's also equally aimed at, I think there's a lot of Christians that think that they're offending the faith if they believe something scientifically proven. And, 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 you know, 
God is the author of science. God is the creator. God wants us to discover these things. So there's there's nothing that we can discover that will disprove science. Yeah. Uh, you, you know, you don't check your Christianity at the door when you decide to be a scientist. There's an amazing number of Bible-believing scientists out there uh, who are happy to talk about uh you know, their faith and how faith and science reconcile with each other. And yeah. so, yeah, it's not, and, and Lewis is a great place to go to, to begin that journey of doing it. Now, the, when I first met you, one of the, it's, it's kind of funny, one of the first things you did, you were, you were talking to people like, first of all, we are not C.S. Lewis worshipers. No, <laughs> like, no. Yeah, you this, made, is not, this is not a fan club. Right. We're not trying I to wanted you to make club. that clear, too, yeah, because yeah. I want people to understand what the Institute is. Yeah, so C.S. our mission statement is to develop wholehearted disciples of Jesus Christ, who will live, articulate, and defend their faith in personal and public life. Okay, so that's what we do. And there's a lot of ways we go about that. Of course, we have conferences, we have podcasts, we have publications. We have something called the Fellows Program, offered at 17 locations around the world. Uh, And it's a one-year discipleship program for people that want to grow in their faith. Using, of course, the writings of, well, we have several different curriculums. The Fellows Program uses, of course, Lewis's writings, but Bonhoeffer, Tim Keller, guys like that. Each month there's a different topic, Holy Spirit, humility, prayer, et cetera, et cetera. We have a new curriculum, um, two years old. It's called the Life, Faith, and Writings of C.S. Lewis, where we just use Lewis's writings. And again, um, Bible study component to every part of it. Um, you get a mentor, somebody that's been through it before. You can just meet and have coffee. Hey, what's God teaching you? You know, this is what I learned. So we've had, the C.S. Lewis Institute was founded in uh, 1976. Yeah, I love that. Um, so we've been around a long time. Uh, you can go to our new website. You can't say it like that because it makes me feel old. <laughs> no, we have every possible resource you could want to grow in your faith. Yeah. All for free. Yeah. Everything free. And now we have study courses. That's another thing that we're doing. We, we just, uh, last two years, we have, we have over uh, 1,500 people in the last two years that have taken our study courses. We've got a new study course coming out in September on Abolition of Man. So we do a lot of things. Yeah. And, and I, wanted to, I wanted to address the importance, not just of community yep. that, that you guys represent, mm-hmm. uh, but I wanted to address the importance of community that's pursuing God. Like you said, that discipleship where it's like, you're saying, Hey, what is God showing you? Uh, I think that that the reason why that's so important is because our society has become so cookie cutter that it doesn't leave much room for discovery. Like what is God showing you? Like our appreciation of uniqueness. Well, you know, as a Christian, you know, we are called to be you know, transformed into the image of God. That's our sanctification, right? And so if you're just in church one hour on a Sunday, and then you go out into the world six days and 23 hours, you have no chance, right? Because right. you're going to be catechized by Netflix. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with this, but if you're, you're going to be catechized by Netflix, Twitter, Facebook, everything in the world coming at you. It's and true. If you're not, if you're not, you know, it's just the, the world is designed to shape you a certain way. And as a follower of Christ, God wants you to be a certain way. Right. And they, 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 they don't go hand in hand. So that's why you need to be deliberate about your faith journey and growing yeah. in your faith and being transformed. And that's what we're trying to do with the Institute. Yeah, and, and so when I think about the quality of so I have to look at somebody's experience to really test their quality, right? And it's like, man, you know, first of all, if someone tells me that they were like 
in World War One. I. I already that comes with a certain amount of respect sure. because there's already a toughness there. Uh, but then when you, you know, and being wounded, why me? All of that stuff. When I see a person that can clearly overcome, not just themselves, but even their own disbelief. That that is a powerful, especially someone who's willing to share their disbelief and share, hey, I'm a believer now, but let me tell you why I didn't believe. It was the grief. It was this. And to share those journey uh, journeys is a powerful thing because you just don't know how many generations at this point that can help. I want to, I do want to talk to you about specifically the grieving situation sure. because of the fact that uh, I think this is something that men struggle with because we, we, we're, we're the provider with protectors. And I know you people are going to tell me, no, that's gender roles. What do you call it? Genderification. Well, I'm not doing that. Yeah. I'm just saying that psychologically, the way most men have been groomed is that we have to hold our feelings in and grief. Men don't cry. Men don't cry. That's Get one of them. Yep. Yep. Men don't cry, you know, and, and all that stuff. Um, talk to me about C.S. Lewis's approach towards grief and, and <clears throat> how you use that to reach other men and, and the significance to men. Yeah. Yeah. So well, in Lewis's story, you know, he, he didn't get married till very late in life. And so, and this, you, you mentioned, and you, this is a show about being, let's just be raw. Right. Let's be, Okay, so if you know Lewis's romantic journey, uh, he had a friend in World War I, and they made a pact. They said, um, if I die, you take care of my mom. If, if um, you die, I'll take care of your mom. And so Lewis's friend, Patty Moore, died. So Lewis took in Patty Moore's mother, and she was an older woman. And the reality is they had a romantic relationship. Right. They lived together. Just being real. Yeah, just being real. You got to do it. Right? So for the 1920s, Lewis as a young man in his 20s is living with an older woman. Lewis becomes a Christian. He still has his promise, I'm going to take care of Mrs. Moore, but I've got to shut that part of my relationship off. She did not handle that well. But Lewis, she continued to live with C.S. Lewis. Lewis took care of her. Lewis's brother, Warney, who was also a veteran, moved in, and the three of them lived in this house. Lewis never married until later in his life, he met Joy Davidman, who was a writer living in New York, and she wanted to meet C.S. Lewis, and she came over and met him, and they fell in love, and uh, Lewis was uh, 59 years old at the time, and he married Joy. This is the love of my life. They're so well-matched. She's super smart. They're playing Scrabble in Latin. (laughs) It's kind of that type of relationship, right? Good grief. She gets cancer. They're married for three years, and she dies tragically and so um, you know there's a story of a miraculous healing that gives joy more time but anyways so Lewis writes a book called Grief Observed and and he's just so raw about grief no one tells me that that grief feels so much like you know horrible agony and it's a very short book but at, at the beginning you're wondering you know Lewis is questioning God he's like I'm knocking on the door God and you're not home I mean, this is the writer of Narnia. This right. Is the writer, you know. And so, but eventually Lewis goes on to explain how as hard as this is, you know, I understand that this is God's plan and will for your life. And joy would not come back, even if she could. 
Right. That's the reality of death, right? It's, that is the, the super reality. The, the, the thing is, it's the grief is for those that are left behind, right? And so, see, so here's Lewis, a man's man. Right. right. He, he's, That's why I said the World guy, War right? One. Yeah, World War One. He's a guy's guy. He's he's with the Inklings. The Inklings are a bunch of dudes. Yeah. Okay. They just happen to be smart, but they're out, you know, uh, doing their hikes. I mean, they're they're guys. Right. Men's men. And here, Lewis is being really raw about our emotion. And I can, t- and for you know, it helped me in my own. My dad. My dad was my best friend. Okay. And he's my dad. He's my best friend. And he got cancer. And he died, and, and we knew it was coming. It was very hard. He was in hospice, and uh, I was back at work two days after my dad's funeral. 